Yeah, let's try that again. How we doing? <laughs> you can get your worship guides out. You can follow along in version if you'd like, or get your Bibles out. Our theme text for the series, um, Break the Chains, is John chapter 8. I will kind of thumb through a bunch of scripture this morning. I'd like to give you as much scripture as possible to feed your spirit. My name is Pastor Derek. If you came in a little bit after the third song, and uh, lead pastor and just love this church, love my church. I always look forward to the weekends. Some people look forward, forward to it for different reasons than me, but I look forward to be together and gather with you guys. This series is kind of, um, let me open by just saying that um, this is one of those I kind of feel it. Sometimes I'm in preparation, some people uh, with kind of like a perceiver gift or discerning gift, they'll sometimes look at me, are you okay, pastor? Are you okay? And and, you know, you're tired, are you feeling okay? And, and sometimes there may be something going on in that, that realm or that way. But this is one of those I just kind of have a weight about. And uh, I spend a lot of time in prayer because when you're talking about the importance of uh, not only obtaining but maintaining freedom in Christ, um, there is a, um, there's just a spiritual weight about it. And sometimes I'll actually be preparing, and this uh, particular message is, is no exception. In fact, it's, it, was, it actually happened where I just kind of begin to feel... Uh, I'm going to call it just kind of a vicarious anointing, where I just begin to intercede and feel some of the pain that people are in, and some may, may be in, uh, likely in this room. And I just want you to know I'm, I'm feeling you this morning a little bit. And what we talk about, I think, is in what we talked about in week one in the series, even what we talked about in week two with just kind of the response to the Boston bombings. If you, did not, if you weren't here last week, that would be a very... Um, helpful message for you to have. How many were here for last week's service? Raise your hand. Okay, a large percentage of you were here last week. That would be one to just get the CD. We might not have enough of those, but we'll make more. But that would be one where my focus was to bring comfort, but also to equip you. It's kind of a big word, but like apologetics, so that you have answers. The Bible says we should have a timely word, an apt reply. We should be able to have a word in season and out of season. And, and this is kind of one of those in-season situations where there's some trial, some difficulty, some tragedy. And we as Christians need to be equipped to be able to help people, answer people, and not disqualify ourselves from the encounters with people because God uses common people to be the heroes in situations like this as we've seen so far. And the church ought to have the most heroes. Can I have an Amen. Anyway, so that was last week, but the first week we just kind of talked about the whole subject of bondages and, and addiction specifically, and I'll come back to that in a second, but uh, I just kind of feel it, and, uh, and today is, is no exception. The premise for the series is I kind of uh, review is, <clears throat> I used a, a simple analogy of the grasshopper and the elephant. Everybody remember the grasshopper story, okay, where there's, you, can, you could do this this study in, you know, seventh grade science class, but you could put some grasshoppers in a jar and, and you, could, uh, you could, you know, pop three or four of them in there and, and, and uh, you put the lid on top and those, those babies will try to jump out for two days straight. They'll just keep whacking their head on the top of that, that lid. And uh, at some point, and it's, I guess it's approximately like 48 hours, you can take the lid off that jar and though the grasshopper is capable of jumping out of the jar, will it? Answer is no, they won't. Uh, they're free to go, but they won't go. Similarly, we talked about that elephant. You can take a small uh, newborn elephant. They're not really small. They're humongous, but relative to their uh, future, and you can put uh, a chain around their ankle, and you could, you could chain that to a, a small tree stump just to keep kind of that elephant within certain parameters, a certain radius around that tree stump, and it would hold it. It would be strong enough to hold it. But as that animal begins to grow and becomes kind of a mighty beast, two, three-ton animal, that same chain will hold that elephant there. Is the elephant strong enough to break free? The answer is yes, the elephant is strong enough to break free, but doesn't know. It doesn't. And we have been given through Christ, those of us who call upon the name of the Lord, those of us who, you know, have been redeemed, those of us who understand that we've been forgiven. Christians are people who just realize they've been forgiven. But what was provided for us on Calvary was so much more than just forgiveness. What was also provided on Calvary was freedom. Everybody say freedom. Freedom in Christ. In John 8, 36 says, Who, the, the sons, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And so we've been free, but many of us, we don't jump out of the jar. Many of us are still chained to uh, the stump. 
even though we're strong enough in Christ, even in our identity in him, even though our legs can leap out and our faith has been provided for us, each one of us given a mustard seed of faith, we can say into certain mountains in our life, but we don't. We stay bound. We stay broken. We stay, as Paul was talking about last week, in prison. And so this series is, is kind of dedicated to uh, getting out from underneath the lid and breaking the chains in our life. And in week one, we kind of talked about an offensive word to many because of the classical interpretations of it. Addiction uh, is kind of a, a subject that as soon as you say it, you know, you kind of hear the music in the background, dum, 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 you know, because uh, what you typically think about is alcoholism, and you think about drug addictions, you think about sex addictions, you think about extreme abuses. But the truth is, Paul, the Apostle Paul, you know, kind of the, you know, a, a kind of a Superman in our faith. In Romans chapter seven, he basically said, you know, I'm an addict. Uh, the things that I don't want to do, and I know that are wrong, I keep on doing it. And, and I don't know why I keep on doing it. What a wretched man that I am. And, and in essence, uh, we are doing that, the things that we don't want to do that we keep on doing. That is, in essence, an addiction. And then we kind of unpacked what really is the root, that the addiction is really more a symptom of a root. That if you can, if you can, if you can change the root, you can get different fruit. And so the root of addictions is idolatry or idolatries. And so we kind of spent a lot of time talking about that in week one, and, and he, Paul, turned to it and, and referred to it kind of as a prison. And, and this is about kind of a prison break, this whole series, because many of us as believers, even though we have a hard time believing, and we'll talk more about this tonight again, we have sometimes a hard time believing that we can be bound. Some of us don't have a hard time believing that, but we think there's nothing we can do about it, and nothing could be further from the truth. Can I have an amen out there? So chains, uh, one of the definitions that I gave you, and again, I'm going to spend some more time in Sunday Night Live on this. We're going to continue to break the chains this evening for those of you looking for more, those of you, um, you know, who are looking for it, kind of go a little bit deeper. Uh, but, but a bondage or chains is any compulsive, this is kind of a uh, review from two weeks ago, not necessarily in your notes, but it's any compulsive or impulsive behavior that restricts you from living and enjoying the freedom that Jesus died to provide for you. Impulsive, compulsive, I'll talk about that tonight. But many instead don't have hope in a better future. They just kind of cope in their present. And that's not what Jesus died for. He didn't die to give you coping skills. He died to set you free. He died so that you would have hope in a different future. And it's not God's intent for you to cope. And so I don't want to have church, I don't know about you, but I never kind of wanted to come into a, you know, a church world and we get all excited and pumped up, and that was really cool what Pastor D, you know, came up there and trying to charge us and all that, and kumbaya, and yay God, but, but we walk out with the, and live the same defeated lives Monday through Saturday, and then on Sunday we come back and pump it up and charge it up and kind of poke ourselves with a little adrenaline spiritually, and then we go back out and live the same defeated lives. I think, I think that's not God's plan for our lives. I think some of us really struggle to receive the freedom that God has provided in our lives from the nagging chains of bondage because, listen, and I said this in week one, and, and you may not like it the second time, but it's still true. We don't really want to change. We don't want our life to change. We just want our circumstances to change. And I want to bring that up with you again because whether it be under the unction of the Holy Spirit or just being a good pastor, some of you have these problems, these bondages and chains in your life you just want the circumstances and the symptoms to change. You don't really want to change. You're afraid that if you surrendered God's standards, principles, precepts, ways, which are higher than yours, by the way, that you won't be better off. The truth is you'll be way better off. You'll be way better off. And so you have to decide. Ultimately, if you want to be free, a lot of that is in your control. And we've got to change ourselves from the inside, not from the outside. And so what we do is we just, we want our circumstances to change, and so we focus on the outside to try to change it on the outside. And it's, as my daddy used to say, it's an exercise in futility. We keep on doing it, and it's just like banging your head up against the lid like the grasshopper does. You won't get out. It won't work. You'll fail time and time again. Believe me, I've tried. And so I want to take you on a journey, really. That I, I believe that under the unction of the Holy Spirit, that people can change in an instant. There can be uh, a change that is a transformational. But, but most cases, just hear me out on this, in most cases, I believe in the process of change. 
I believe these worship experiences that you're in right now and sitting under the, the, the ministry of the word is a catalyst for change, okay? And so you guys sometimes get discouraged because it doesn't happen in an instant, but God may, is more interested in your character development, which doesn't happen in an instant, by the way. Your freedom does, but the, the ability to maintain what you've obtained happens in the process. It happens in the journey. And so as a church, I'm inviting you on a journey. I've asked many of you, you've done a good job, just by the show of hands a few minutes ago. I said, be here for this entire series because this is systemic. You say, I don't believe in counseling. You're in counseling. This is it right here. What you would get from me or somebody like me privately Christian is this is this. And so I'm asking you, go through it week after week. If you're still struggling, you want more, get here tonight. Be here tonight for that, okay? So this is a process, but it goes beyond church. It's also kind of working it out in the lab of life. You have to be around, our vision is to connect you to God. He's the source and he's the power, but you also got to get around godly people and get in a godly place on a routine basis. And so fundamentally, what I say to people who are struggling is, give us a year of your life. You say, a year? Yeah. A year, because I'm not going to kid around. I'm not just going to pretend that whatever got you where you are, that didn't happen in just a year. probably happened over many years where the cords of sin and the, and the problems just kept wrapping around and slowly suffocating you. It's going to take, it's the process of change. It's a journey. Now, to the end of that year, and you went all out, by the way, you sat under the word. You did everything you could apply it to your life. You surrendered. What, you, you, you kind of, whatever play was called, you did it. You did it. If, you're, if at the end of the year, you're living like that, you're not better, I'll go to another church with you. Okay? Because I don't want to go to a church where you do something like that and then nothing happens. Can I have an amen out there? Anyway, today we're going to address kind of a masked enemy. We're going to spend kind of the, the next few minutes uncovering a heavy hitter, kind of a silent killer. I remember when I was... Uh, Younger, I don't know why my neighbors allowed this, but I was 11 years old and I was, I was given permission to babysit my neighbor, my neighbor Billy. Billy had a, a dog named Lily, Billy and Lily. They're always hanging around. It's just weird. I don't know what it is, but I always remember that, Billy and Lily. And uh, Lily was a black Labrador and, and uh, Billy was this just blonde, you know, beach blonde kid and crazy kid, just crazy. And so um, his parents liked a boy to babysit a boy because, you know, I could just run with him and just be crazy with him. And so they had a mat they put downstairs where we could just wrestle. And the kid always wanted to wrestle. And uh, I got some funny stories going through my brain, but I can't share those publicly. But um, we would go downstairs and wrestle, just WWF, and, and I'd just kill this kid. I mean, literally, it's the, I was the wor- I'm just telling you, I was the worst babysitter ever. This kid got pounced on. But he was a tough kid when all was said and done, praise Jesus. But I can remember one time saying, Billy, 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 I got a guy that you got to meet. He's, he's, he's an incredible wrestler. I'm going to go get him. He's like a hero in the WWF. I'm going to go get him. So I, I left him downstairs, and, and he had like one of these crazy, you know, suits, whatever, spandex suits, you know, and I don't know, these little tight spandex shorts and these crazy boots and a cape. And I put it on. It's probably like six sizes too small. And uh, I come down. And I'm like, you know, kind of play the character. You know, I can't remember what, what character I, uh, particular I played. But I can remember Billy just kind of looking at me and he's like, you think you're so cool? He's like, five. You think you're so cool? You know, I know who you are. Why don't you just come out from behind the mask? I know it's you. And I was like, dude, just play along with it. You know, like this is just kind of a role thing. And, and he just busted me. This little five-year-old kid just made a fool of me. And I can remember just thinking, you know, what a spoiler. But the truth is that when, I know I'm still getting some therapy over that, but <laughs> we do the same thing, though. We put on these, we put on these masks. We put on these, 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 it's really like a dumb suit, and we think we've fooled everybody with this mask. But everybody can see who we really are. But we think nobody can see it, but the truth is they can see it. The thing you're actually hiding from would be just better to just come right out with it. People actually admire you when you're, when you're transparent or you're vulnerable or you're honest about it, but pretending that it's nothing's there is crazy. And so we have this kind of hide in pride, and, and, and no one often knows until they, the person's actually died, inside or literally. It happens so often if you take it to its furthest extreme. And, and you, you probably know somebody who struggles with the problem. You may be that person. And, and to get real, the, the ultimate destructive path, and this is extreme, it, 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 in this whole idea of uh, this masked enemy is, is to check out. People are just kind of, they're like the living dead, you know what I mean? They're just, they're alive, but they're dead inside. Or, or they check out permanently. 
And it's, it's a terrible, terrible sickness. And it's a terrible, terrible spirit. And, and the devil offers kind of these destructive patterns and paths. And it's really, it's, what's interesting is, is that the, the path that the devil tries to put people on with this masked enemy, the, the solution is actually the exact opposite, the antithesis of it. And we'll get to that. And so as we begin, I just want to kind of, in a rhetorical way, say, you know, what's going on under the hood, you know? Uh, will, will you let God in? And if, if not, at some point, that silent killer, you know, uh, will arrest you. You know, we, 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 we play and we kind of pretend and, and we kind of, as we hide the, the, the tentacles, of, the deeper tentacles of, of sadness and despair and depression can dig in. Despair, this is bonus also, you can write this in your notes. Dis, d- depression, excuse me, this is the definition of depression, okay? It's, I heard this uh, from, uh, um, I think it was Billy Graham, but depression is, it's a hopelessness that is not consistent with reality. It's a hopelessness. That's not consistent with reality. And, and so I, I, God wants us to be blessed, not depressed. But, 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 we, but we're blinded. Depression blinds us. And I believe every problem can be solved really internally, or we could say spiritually. And, and again, like I said before, I believe in the process of change. But, but we have to understand, before we can understand the, the kind of the cure, which we'll get to in a little bit, we have to understand that the core problem when it comes to depression is our thinking. Everybody say thinking. It's, it's, it's stinking thinking. And I think everybody, myself included, everybody struggles at some point in time, maybe even routinely, maybe even daily, with stinking thinking. It, it just, it's just like that kid from, uh, you know, Charlie Brown, you know, character. You know what I mean? It's just, it just, it permeates the room, you know? And uh, the scripture says in Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinks in his heart, so what? So, so is he. In other words, you know, kind of what you think is what you're, what you're going to be. It affects the outcome of your life. Uh, a scripture from the book of Lamentations. I'm going to read uh, it. I think I have it. Lamentations chapter 3. I kind of highlighted a couple of verses, but I'm going to back up to verse 1. I want you to see uh, lament. You know, it's, this is like a... This is like uh, scriptural depression right here. Jeremiah is lamenting, okay? And uh, what I love about scripture and what I love about people like Jeremiah or David, we may reference something from him in a few minutes, is their transparency. You know, they're just total honesty. They had some bad days. And Jeremiah's having a really bad day. And sometimes you think you're having a bad day. Listen to how bad his day is, okay? And see if you can pick up on some of the stuff. He says, verse 1, I am the one who has seen the affliction that come from the rod of the Lord's anger. So clearly God's upset. He has, he has brought me into deep darkness. Really, that's a, a great definition of depression. There's a darkness. Shutting out all light. He has turned against me day and night. His hand is heavy upon me. He has made my skin and flesh grow old. Oh, he's making you an old person. Wow. He has broken your bones. In the NIV, it says he's a mangler. God's a mangler. Okay, wow, didn't know that about God. He has attacked me and surrounded me with anguish and distress. He has buried me in a dark place like a person long dead. He has walled me in and I cannot escape. He has bound me in heavy chains. And though I cry and shout, he shuts out my prayers. He has blocked my path with a high stone wall. He has twisted the road before me with many, many detours. I can't find the way. He hid like a bear or a lion waiting to attack me. Okay, uh, Jeremiah, you're taking it a little far. He, he dragged me off the path and he tore me with his claws. This is what he's saying about God. Is Jeremiah having a bad day, everybody, or what? Okay. Leaving me helpless and desolate, he bent his bow and aimed it squarely at me. He shot his arrows deep into my heart. Now you've not only done this on the outside, now you're going for my heart. My own people, they're laughing at me all day long. They sing their mocking songs. He has filled me with bitterness. He has given me a cup of deep sorrow to drink. He has made me grind my teeth on gravel. Okay, I mean, this is, this is what I stopped. I was reading, I was like, Jeremiah, whoa, okay, God's making you grind your teeth on gravel? Wow. He has rolled me in the dust. Peace has stripped away, and I have forgotten what prosperity is. I cry out, my splendor is gone. Everything I'd hoped for from the Lord is lost. The dude is depressed. If you weren't depressed, you are now. All right? The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. How many want to hang out with Jeremiah? You know what I mean? Just like, let's do some, you know, let's go for a ride. Let's hang out. Let's go for a run. But look, at, look what happens. There's a switch. 
verse 21. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. Remember is kind of a key word. In other words, he chose, he made a switch. The, the, the enemy can tempt you and he can put thoughts in your mind, but he can never keep you from coming to him. He can never keep you from choosing him, from choosing God. Can, and we'll talk about that tonight a little bit more. And so he says, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The unfailing love of the Lord never ends. By his mercies, we have been kept from complete destruction. And then the song that we all talk about, great is thy faithfulness. You know the song, right? Oh, God, my Father. That's where we get the song from right here. He makes this switch. David does the same thing in Psalm 73. He goes through verse 1 and following, just bonus, 1 through 16. He's complaining, he's whining, and the rich get richer, and the people get healthier, and, you know, they eat ice cream and lose weight, and, they, you know, they run and don't grow weary, and you know what I mean? And they, they, they can go to Cold Stone, and, and everything just turns to muscle, and, 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 <laughs> And he goes, and he's just whining and pining, and, and then he gets to this point, and just, all of a sudden he makes a switch, and he says, until I entered the sanctuary, and then I saw everything clearly, you know, and I kind of put in parentheses, I can see clearly now, the rain is gone, you know, because I always do music, you know. So that, that's, D David models for us that we can whine and pine, and we can be in these, but we can choose to come out of it. We can choose to come out of it. Nothing can stop a person that wants to be set free from, uh, from the presence of God. And so whether it be Jeremiah, whether it be David, uh, you can, you can, what we think is what we become. Your thoughts, thoughts, words, deeds, they, they determine the course. And you can never change your life until you change the way you think. And so you have to really want to be free in this area. And, and again, you got to decide that. I was uh, recently traveling and I was with a young minister, and um, I got to try to make make this as generic as possible because people will know who I'm talking about. But um, I, w you know, I was with a young pastor, and and he and he kind of got me in a in a hallway. When I say got me, <laughs> that's probably not the best way to say it. But you know, when people got that, you know, that Eeyore thing all over them, you know what I mean. I had like two choices in that situation: go right at it or run for the hills. And so I was kind of in the run for the hills mode, you know, thinking about circumventing this situation, but there was no way to do it, and the Spirit of God just said, stop, and just pastor, and so I stopped, and I just kind of listened to this, this young man, and, and, he, and, he, and he basically said, Pastor D, um, he said, uh, everything's going good, I got everything I wanted, everything I ever dreamed of, but inside, I'm dying, and I, and I want to quit. I told God, I'm going to quit on you if something doesn't change, because I'm still struggling, and he went through these different areas. And, and I began to kind of, you know, coach and minister and, and um, you know, I, I kind of operate in, routinely in the word of wisdom. And, I, and God was giving me words to speak to him that kind of penetrate some of the confusion and stuff. And, and fundamentally what I was up against was just a spirit. And, and, and it took me a little while. I had to pull away to actually grasp what had happened. I ended up talking to his pastor and, and wife after the fact. But what, what, what the Lord was showing me is that people are better at explaining their problem and romancing their problem than they are at pursuing and, 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 and reaching out for the solution. It's incredible how much energy and time we'll spend just on what's the problem instead of on who's over the problem. Who's in charge of all problems? Who's large and in charge? And, and we get like that. We need to decide to focus on the solution more. And the solution is found in the person and work, finished work of Jesus Christ. Can I have an amen? And we got to proclaim and exalt his power above our problems. But we'll never get over our problems if we keep exalting our problems, spending more time focusing our energy and attention on that than we do on the solution. And I've seen the results of this selfish, and, and, and I'm sorry for the... I, I, how do I say this? I understand that there, there, there is a serious impact from depression. I, I understand that I, 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 poss I couldn't possibly empathize with all the circumstances and all the, um, you know, scenarios that you've gone through. I, 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 please understand. But when, when, if you were me and you had a certain amount of time to capture a group of people and tell them something that could really change their life, You'd spend a lot less time qualifying it and making sure I understand, I understand, and I identify, I identify, and you spend a lot more time on the cure. Does that make sense? And so that's, please don't misinterpret the fact that I'm, I'm, I'm insensitive to the situation. I just, I, but, but by the same token, though, I haven't experienced maybe what you've experienced. I have experienced this, uh, this emotion, this spirit firsthand, firsthand. 
and, and indirectly as well. And I, I've been around it, you know, the, debil- the debilitating effects of it in my family, in ministry life. And, and I just, I want to reference it for the sake of discussion today, kind of as, as a self-centered spirit, okay? Because you, you may not agree with this or like this, but tr- depression at the core, it's, it's, a, it's a self-centeredness. It convinces you that, that, that everything that's going on, you're at the center of it. The whole epicenter of stuff is, is, is you, and instead of life in God is the center. And it destroys your life, and it hurts other people immensely. And many people are very unaware of how much that self-centeredness is hurting other people. I've been on the other side of that. I remember when I was 11 years old, a particular member of my family called up, and, uh, and uh, I picked up the phone, and he said, you know, this is uncle, and I, I just want um, talk to your, talk to your to your dad. And so he's not here right now. And um, he says, um, well, will you tell him to call me? Because I don't think I'm going to go another day. I don't think I'm going to be here tomorrow. I said, what's the matter? He says, well, I, I, you know, and he proceeds to tell me he's going to check out. I'm 11 years old, guys. Are you guys tracking with me on this? It's evil. This stuff was just, just, being, just being perpetuated. Not only was he struggling, but it was hurting other people. I can, I, I, you can't imagine what my daddy said when I came home and told him that story. And you can't imagine the phone call he made to that person if you know my dad. <laughs> you go ahead and check out, buddy. Don't you call my son ever again, so help me God. I'll take you out myself. <laughs> That's basically what happened. But it, but it is. It's, it's a self-centered spirit. And, it, and, it, and, it's, and it's destructive, not only of you, but of other people. Statistics say that 18.8 million people in America suffer from depression. One out of ten women experience postpartum depression. Women are twice as likely to be depressed as men. Men are four times more likely to actually carry out suicide than women. Over one million preschoolers take antidepressants. One out of 14 suffer from depression. 1,080 people attempted suicide today. 105 succeeded. billion in medical and drug therapy related to depression. Again, if you are not depressed, you are now. And so the truth is many here are losing the battle to the silent killer, and we need other solutions. There needs to be a desperation that the solutions cannot be found externally. And I'm not saying that those things aren't helpful. And I believe there's, there's value and merit in getting therapy, even drug therapy and different things like that. But I'm just saying if we remove God from the equation... 100%, 100%, we're never going to be cured. And so, you, you, know, you know what I'm talking about. It, you know, I can remember being you know, young, and, and that, that same spirit that was in my family line came over me when I was a young man. I can remember a certain turn when I was a boy here in Ashland. I'd come around this corner, and there was this guardrail, and I'd have a suicidal thought. Just, why don't you just go ahead and smash right into that guardrail? You say, really? Yeah. Literally every time I drove past that point. This feeling would come over me. I think some of you identify with what I'm talking about. There's a certain time, a certain place, a, a certain feeling. I used to struggle with that even in ministry when things were just kind of hitting a lid, you know, and the, and the enemy would whisper certain things in my ear. Same time, you know, Mondays. Mondays were hell for me the day after church. And so today we'll learn that it's not true and that there are solutions to those things. And, and maybe those those thoughts might still whisper once in a while, but you can capture them and you can, you can eradicate those things from your life and, ha- and overcome in those different situations. And so this, this I believe, will apply to you. Let me, let me just kind of give you three levels of life. Okay, How do you know if you're blessed or depressed? All right, the first one is survival mode. Everybody say survival mode. This is kind of the litmus test, okay? This is the lowest level, uh, uh, just summary, lowest level of life. Just kind of paying the bills, just get by, people in this... People in this mode uh, um, subconsciously are saying, just, you know, you, 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 you kind of, uh, life stinks and then you die. You know, they're like, they're like, nacho libre, you know, it sucks to be me right now. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's kind of <laughs> the motto, you know what I mean? Thank God it's Friday, you know, everybody's working for the weekend, that kind of a thing. And, and the goal in a survival mode is just to kind of make sure nothing bad happens and that you don't mess up. That's kind of the goal. Let me just tell you, the truth is that, that you cannot, life will not work like that. It will not work like that. It doesn't go too well that way. The second level is the success mode. Success mode, you say, well, this is a good level. Well, think, think about it. Listen all the way through. So, the, the success mode is some of what you're doing is working, seemingly, by appearances. 
This is what David was doing in Psalm 73. He was looking at the wealthy and he was looking at those prideful people, you know, with their, you know, up on the precipice and everything looks like they're going good. You have people like that in your life, you know, the keeping up with the Joneses kind of thing. You're looking like, man, things look pretty well for them. Oh, well, yeah, you know, everything they do turns to gold. They got the Midas touch and, you know, all this stuff. And, 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 and it looks like everything's going well. You don't know what's going on behind the scenes. My father was chasing a man who is his mentor in business, pursued and wanted to be just like him. And he became the, the president of his company, and then he, then he became the chairman of a conglomerate, and then, he, and then he had multiple homes in different places, and a wonderful family, all went to the best schools, and he checked out, he committed suicide, his mentor, and it was then that he had an aha moment, that that's the wrong ladder to be climbing, and in success mode, that's what happens, we're climbing the wrong ladder, and sometimes we don't realize it until the thing falls, and so the goal is to hang on to what I've got. And don't lose anything. And the truth is you'll ultimately be disappointed. Sometimes people are chasing the almighty dollar. They're going after wealth. And then in an ultimate sense, and I've seen this so many times, and I'm old enough to, to have experienced this, and that may be a surprise to you because I'm only 30. <laughs> but but uh, people are chasing the almighty dollar. They're chasing wealth, and then in an ultimate sense, they lose their health. It's like they got all this, and then all of a sudden they, they burn it all up at the end. It's, it's the wrong ladder. You'll, you'll ultimately be disappointed. Here's the third level of life, significance mode. Significance mode. This group of people knows why they're alive. It's not to just suck air and take up space and abuse God's grace. It's more than that. They're, they're, not, they're not shaken or stirred when tough times come. They know tough times will come. They know what, what Jesus said, in this world you have trouble and tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. They know that, the, that this world is temporary, that it's a temporary assignment, and that what we do in this life matters in the next. It echoes in eternity, as Maximus said. So all you gladiator lovers out there. So troubles for them, they're redefined as, as opportunities for the miraculous intervention of God. And the goal for them is they live for something bigger than themselves. Here's the secret. It's, it, we're building up to not just what the, what, the, what the core problem is, we're building up to the cure. The secret is to live for something bigger than you. They're really living life to the full, as Jesus described. The abundant life, John 10, 10b, is the devil comes to kill, but Jesus came that we might have life to the full, abundant life. That's not talking about life after we die. That's talking about life right here and now. And that's in significance mode, not in success mode. Are you tracking with me? And this is where God wants us to be. We must see this is important. Look at what it says in, in uh, Psalm 139 in your notes. Are you guys getting something out of this out there? David says, for you created my inmost being. Look at, look at significance mode, what it looks like. It's different than success mode. David didn't say, look at all, this big kingdom that you've given me rule over. Look at, look at all the battles that I've won. Look at all the, you know, the, my beautiful wife that I have, my trophy wife. No, he doesn't say that. He says, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's room. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are too wonderful. I know, look at, I know, that's epinosis, I know that full well. In other words, it kind of sounds a little conceited, but the truth is he was saying, God, you did a great job when you made me. He looked in the mirror and he said, not bad, God. How many of you do that? Don't tell me, don't tell me, don't tell me. Just kidding. <laughs> You're like, hey. You know, do a little Fonzie moment there, you know? He, 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 he just basically was exalting what God did. He, to, to discount that or to, to look at ourselves and see that, see that less than that would be would actually be a form of pride. We're exalting our opinion above what God said. That's pride. Pride is, is, is an abomination to God. It's one of the things that can keep you from healing and from health. And so he goes on. He says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. Look at this part. This, I love this part, and I'm going to uh, have to be brief about it. But all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. The, the, the New Testament parallel to that verse is Ephesians 2.10, if you're interested. But it says, for we are his workmanship. We, you created me in my own way. It's too wonderful for me how you made me. It's unbelievable. Ephesians 2.10 is the parallel. There's always an Old Testament, New Testament kind of parallel. It's, you're, I'm your workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for me to do. That means before you came to be, he created you to do something. 
He ordained something. He wrote something, a path, a, a, a map for you to follow even before you came into existence. This is a saying here is all those things have been written in a book. There's, in other words, there's a book in heaven, I believe. There's a book that says the life of Derek Fry. At this point in your time, you're going you're gonna to sing in your sister's wedding, and that's going to lead to an opportunity to, to, to be a worship leader. And your dad's going to ask you this, and you're going to say yes in Jesus' name. It was a pivotal moment, by the way. And then later on, you're going to be installed as the pastor of this church, and then later on, you're going to be right here talking to these people. There's a book, The Life of Derek Fry, and there's a book, The Life of You. And if you believed that there was a book like that, then you would seek the person who had and wrote that book. And it would change the course of your life and make you live life in significance, not in success or in survival. You live it in significance. Amen? And, and, and God actually not only wrote a book, but he put you at this time in this place, and he actually is using all the different situations in your life to cause you or to draw you or to leverage it to reach out to him. Acts 17, 26 says he, just, he ordained you to be at this time in this place, so perhaps you'd reach out for him. Perhaps. That means you might not. That means you have a choice, and you can always choose to come to God no matter what. I don't care what the oppression, I don't care what the attack, I don't care what the temptation is, what the lie is. You can always come to God. I'll prove it tonight if, we, if you guys come back. I'll talk to you about that more. Now, let's discuss how to direct the thinking, kind of w- which is the cure, uh, to the problem of depression. In my opinion, this is kind of what holds the thought, the, the, the cure right now that I'll get out fast. This will hold the thought life accountable. You say, okay, the problem is ultimately, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. The problem with depression, this masked enemy, is our thinking. What I'm going to give you now kind of is the vice grip. It keeps it on course. It keeps, it, uh, re- it keeps our thinking responsible and directed and pointed. So freedom de- from depression means this. Number one, I need a people to live with. Say people to do life with. To do life with. Amen. I can't emphasize this enough. You can't do it alone. You've heard this so many times, but, but our, again, because if you don't fundamentally believe that it's an inside versus outside thing, you'll keep trying to self-medicate. You'll keep trying to change your schedule. You'll keep trying to curb your appetite. You'll keep trying to reprioritize this. Listen, it's an inside-out thing, but for the inside to change, you need other people to help you. You can't do that by yourself, and so otherwise you'll self-medicate with all kinds of alcohol, drugs, to sarcasm and stay behind a false wall or anger or humor or all kinds of what seems like minor things, but they're still defense mechanisms from actually from doing life with other people. And so, so listen, isolation, this is, a great, this is a great point, but isolation is the seedbed of all idolatries. Isolation. Insulation and isolation is the seedbed. It's where everything germinates. It's where everything begins, that's negative begins to grow. It's the seedbed of all idolatries. Isolation is unhealthy. It will destroy you ultimately. You say, well, I don't feel good. What happens when you don't feel good? The enemy will convince you to pull away, get away, isolate, get into darkness, out from underneath the light. Where am I? I'm in the dark. Who can see me? Not many people. Danger. Danger when you're in that situation. You got to get into the light. You got to get open. I'm struggling. I'm going through a hard time. You know, you can talk honestly and openly with God and other people, and that is how you get free. Can I have an amen out there? Two are better than one. A person standing alone cannot, can be attacked and defeated, Ecclesiastes says. Three are even better, for a triple braid cord is not easily broken. It's such a great picture in tough times. And when you're depressed, you're not supposed to isolate and insulate. It will lead to so much bigger problems. So where do you go? What do you do? Get in a small group. Get on a dream team. Take some steps. You say, well, that's way ahead of where I am. Stay at the church for more than five minutes and talk to somebody. Just be around. Just get available. Have a cup of coffee. Get somebody a cup of coffee. You know, so I, uh, you say, I can't do the small group. That's a big, well, then do something. Take a step. You sound angry. I'm angry at the devil. I'm angry that he just keeps robbing and lying and stealing from people and convincing them that their situation is different. It's not. It's not. Well, say, Pastor, things are good now. I'm cool. But, well, maybe that's you. But what, you'll have a day, you'll have a day when it's not so cool. And will you have the equity, will you have built 
uh, an emotional and relational safety net to fall on when you have that day. Say, I don't plan, I'm not planning on having that day. Listen, if you, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. You need to have that safety net built. You need to be doing it now. Say, I'm, I'm doing good. That's self-reliance. That's not God-reliance. And that's not healthy scripturally either. Number two, I need principles to live by. Today, people don't, they, they don't live by any standards or absolutes. One of the reasons we get depressed is because we're doing life alone. Another reason we get depressed is because we don't have any principles that we're living by. What are the, what are the guiding principles that you live by? Do you have God's standards? A, a lot of times, we're, 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 I believe to be really free and get our minds out of despair and depression, we must come to a place where we accept God's word as the standard for our life. Amen. We exalt his word above our feelings. You know, Proverbs 3, 6, it's not in your notes, but it says acknowledge the Lord in all your ways. Everybody say all your ways. And he'll direct your steps. If you commit to the Lord your plans, he'll establish your, it says, thoughts. Your thoughts. Oh, what a good, good scripture. Say, how'd you learn that? I memorized it. Because it's enough. It's enough of the moral relativism. Enough of just like, you know, que sera, sera, to each his own, or many roads to this. No, there's one way, Jesus' way. His ways are higher than our ways. And we need to do it his way. It's a better way. It's not a restrictive way. It's a protective way. It's just a better way. And so we, we, we must put his principles into practice. But fellowship precedes freedom in Christ. And so, you know, what does that look like? Well, do you believe in the principle of counsel? What is that? What are you talking about? Is there anybody? Do you have a board of directors for your personal life? Turn to your neighbor and say, do you have a board of directors for your personal life? You need a board of directors. Who who have you brought in? A board of directors, there's not 50 people on a board of directors. There may be three, five, seven people in your life who can stick their finger in your eye that love you. My wife is the only one, and I hate when she sticks her finger in my eye because I'm a sissy. She can just go, she can dig all up in her eye. I can't believe what you girls can do. I don't even know how you do it. I'll get something, I'll be like, you know what I mean? Are you looking into my soul? I mean, I am so frightened for somebody to stick my finger in their eye. It's sensitive, right? It's sensitive. People don't like it because it's sensitive. But you know what? When that thing comes out, that eyelash comes out, or that eye booger comes out, it's good. It's good. I can see clearly now. Everything changes. You have a whole new perspective. You need a board of directors in your life. And we, we often get to a place of depression because we're calling all the shots in our life. We want to live on a mission, but we have to be in submission in order for our mission to be completed. Who are we under? Who are we under? Who are we listening to? Matthew 7, 24 through 27, whoever hears these words of mine and puts these things into practice is like a house built upon a rock. Psalm 119, 19, I'm a pilgrim here on earth. I need a map, and your commands are my chart and guide. Number three, I need a plan to live out. Everybody say plan. plan. Ephesians 5 says, live life with a due sense of responsibility, not as men who do not know the meaning of life, but as those who do. Make the best use of your time despite all the evils these days. So we, we, we kind of wonder why we're depressed. is because we go through life without a clue, without a plan. You know, and, and we wonder why we're, we're headed in the wrong direction and why our head's all messed up sometimes. And I can get very practical here, but let me start by saying that many people are depressed because they just don't know what they're doing with their time. Say, I don't know what to do with my time. Well, ask somebody. Ask me. I'll help you. I'll show you some things to do with your time. Saying, really? Yeah. Send me an email. I'll give you, I'll just give you like, my dad gave me Derek's daily duties. Janelle's general guidelines. Ernie's endless endeavors. And Randa's reasonable requests. She was the queen of delegation. Because why? Because you'll just be like that song. I'm a wanderer. You know, I go around and around and around and around, you know, because I'm a wanderer. That's what happens if you don't have a plan. You'll just wander it. You say, and, and wherever it is you're going, any road will get you there. Nowhere, that is. If I said to a bunch of fifth graders, hey, you guys want to go on a race? They'd be like, yeah, let's go on a race. You know what I mean? Okay, you ready? On your mark? You ready? Yep. Get set, yep, go. They look at me like, huh? I mean, what's the finish line? I mean, everybody needs a place to aim their time, their time. Proverbs 17, 24 says, an intelligent person aims at wise action, but a fool starts off in many directions. Ecclesiastes says there's a right time and a right way to do everything, but we know, but we know so little. 
God knows so much. Proverbs 16, 9, we should make plans, counting on God to direct us. The truth is people are not often doing life this way. There's no daily plan. Success in your thoughts is hidden in your daily agenda. It's hidden in your daily agenda. John Maxwell says that. So when you get up, you got to have a plan. Otherwise, you'll sleep the day away. You know what happens? A spirit of depression, a litmus test, you're sleeping the day away. That's a sign of depression. That's a sign you're in survival mode. Our time can be broken down into just like the urgent and the important, and God wants us to live in the important. And each day, an activity doesn't always have the same value and always the same imp- levels of importance. And President Obama doesn't get up and like, okay, here's my list. Uh, get some milk. Uh, talk to the cabinet. Um, let's see. I've got to uh, call those telemarketers back. All right. I've got to get the, uh, you know, the whole stimulus package back online. He orders his day. In priorities, it's important that we have priorities. What are those? If you want more practical, get relationship with God. You've got to spend time with God every day. Relationship with your, your family, your key relationships. You know, you've got to have a Sabbath, self-care, Sabbath. You need, you need time to invest in things that are important to God, that bring significance, eternal difference. Listen, I told somebody this the other day, a brother and sister I love very, very much. I said, you, you got, they were tithers. They're, they're, they're givers. I said, you, you tithe your talent, but you tithe your time. See, if, we, if we're, all the relationships in our life happen in the margin. So you got to work, you got to sleep, you got to eat. So everything that's left over is the margin. How are we using our margin? Is it prioritized or just que sera, sera, just aimless? You need to use that wisely. Your time, your talent, and your treasure. If you do, it will change your thought life. It will change your thought life. Number four, I need a purpose to live for. I got to wrap it up. A purpose. People with purpose don't die. They just go to sleep. Purpose protects. It keeps you from burnout and from, because you're, you're living the love. You're living for the love. It's the motivation. It's the fuel behind it. It's, it's, it's people who live with purpose, they realize this isn't a dress rehearsal. You know? This is a real show. I get one shot. I got a certain number of days left. I actually have started estimating how many years I have left. It starts affecting you. It does. It affects you a lot. We live like we're going to live forever. And then we live aimlessly in the process when we're doing that. So much I could say about that. But, but, but that purposelessness, when we're not living for people because God's all about people, then if we don't live on purpose for people, then people will hurt us and we'll get depressed. Relationship pain can be the leading cause of depression. And I would just encourage you to forgive them, be reconciled to them, get right with God, get right with them, and do it as fast as possible. Number five, I need a power to live on, my last point. I need a power to live on. There's a place in God. If you'll pursue God and persist and you remove kind of the outside sources and the outside influences and things like that, where, where when you're with God, you're above the circumstances and you're above the feelings realm. And it's a perspective that God talks about in his word a lot. Just try to be still while you're putting your stuff away. Isaiah chapter 40, it says this. It says, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. So when you feel tired, that's what depression does, makes you feel tired. You feel weary. It says, God says, even the youth grow tired and weary, by the way. Young men stumble and fall, but those who, what, hope in the Lord will renew their strength. You, you get fueled hanging out with God and being in the presence of God. It, it, there's, there's this tendency for us to always rely on ourselves. I heard this quote, one guy said, chickens flap, eagles soar. Chickens, they can't fly. Did you know that, by the way? They can't go very far. They get a few feet off the ground, they got to come back down, and they're exhausted. But an eagle soars. It's totally different. They hope in the Lord. They'll renew their strength. They'll soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Eagles find a ride, you know, in higher elevations. They call it solar winds. They get to a certain place, they just open up their, their wings, and they just ride those thermal winds. And it's at that place also where it's effortless, effortless that they have perspective on all their circumstances and situations. You need that bird's eye view on your situation. And that only comes when you live in the presence of God and find the power that comes from the presence of God. Would you stand on your feet? Let me pray for you. Get something out of this? Praise the Lord.
If you just close your eyes for a minute. Just everybody, just close your eyes, please. Just you and God, you're having a moment. Everybody, please. Thank you so much for doing that. It's so important that you just allow. This isn't an information seminar. This isn't a, I'm not Tony Robbins. <laughs> I'm just a vessel, and I'm just giving you the word. And the word is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Dividing asunder the soul and spirit, the joints and marrow, is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our heart. And He is going in your heart and He's discerning your thoughts and your intentions. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you through this message? How is He speaking to you? How is He, how is he knocking on the heart and the door of your heart? What's He saying? To be free, you have to admit you're in chains. To get saved, you have to admit you're drowning. Maybe you're here today and you don't want to walk out without just <laughs> making sure you're okay with God. And I don't want you to walk out not knowing you're okay with God. Tomorrow is not promised. We don't know. We don't live forever. And it's so important that we put our life in His hands of our own free will and volition to do that. And, and, and I, I always see that people can't actually get saved until they realize they're drowning. To get free, you have to realize you're in chains. It's the same thing. There has to be an acknowledgement that I can't do it without God. And to have that salvation knowledge, all I do is I'm just like a lifeguard walking the beach on my route, just saying, who's out there that would raise their hand and say, save me, save me, save me. And as his vessel, I'll just give you that opportunity to make that connection and throw you a line. If you're out there right now and you need to be saved, between me, you, and God, boldly, would you raise your hand and say, that's me, I need to be saved. I don't want to walk out here today. God bless you, sister. Thank you. Is there anybody else? God bless you at the back, brother. All the way at the back. I see that hand way at the back. See your hand in the front, sir. Thank you so much for that boldness. Thank you so much for that. God bless you. Is there anybody else I'm missing? I don't want to miss anybody. Thank you so much, buddy. Thank you so much. God bless you. Those two at the back there, I see your hands. Thank you. Thank you so much. Jesus wants to save you because you'll acknowledge First, you have to acknowledge that God, A, believe that he is who he says he was, did what he said he did, and C, you confess Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Church, would you just pray this with me? Say, Jesus, thank you, God. So I invite you to be my Savior. I acknowledge I can't save myself. You did what you did so I could be rescued. Thank you for throwing me a lifeline. And now... I just lay back and surrender and submit to your way of doing things. I make you my Lord right now in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you, Lord, for those people that called upon the name of the Lord. The Bible says in the last days, anyone who does that will be saved. Their eternity is secure. Their relationship with him begins now. Now you can just talk to God and walk with God. And you need to learn about how to connect with God and get around godly people. The disciple can walk you through that. And they're not perfect, but they'll, they'll be able to help you. They'll be able to guide you in that. So talk to people and tell us that you did this. Tell somebody that you made this decision. And Father, I'm going to pray for all those people that are here that need freedom. I pray, God, that you draw them back each week so we can continue this process of change, this journey of change, Lord. I pray that the truth that they know is setting them free. If you're getting some of this, just raise your hand if you need more freedom. Father, the truth that they know, set them free in Jesus' name. Every single person needs a level of freedom. We all do, God. I pray for your anointing to break the yoke. Break every chain. Break every chain, God. Because you want an army. You want an army to go forth from this place. And we thank you, Lord God, for raising up that army in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Can we give the Lord the biggest hand clap that he deserves because he's worthy? Amen. Amen.